You're listening to The Footy Fix with your host, Ben Batella. Batella, 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 Batella. Welcome back to the Footy Fix podcast. I am your host, Ben Battello, and on today's episode, we have first-time guest Chris Jalal on. He runs the Second Half Subs account on Instagram, and he talks all things EPL. Chris, how you doing, man? You ready to talk some UCL or what? Yeah, man, I'm ready. I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Always a pleasure. All right, so I'm going to ask you two quick questions before we get into the recaps. My first yep. question, if you take away Ronaldo and Messi, is Lewandowski the best player of the last decade? I mean, he, he has to be hands down. I mean, I think he's been snubbed for the last couple of years. I mean, I think it was the year that Modric won it. I know he won. He was like runner up in the World Cup. But I think Lewandowski has just been just under their, under them for the last, I don't know, five, six years at least. And I, he's got to win it again this year. Yeah, I, I feel like last season, I don't know why they didn't award a Ballon d'Or. That really didn't make any sense. It confused me, if you know what I mean, because like yeah. he was so far and away the the would have been the winner of that. Messi had a great season, Ronaldo had a great season, but Lewandowski just completely other level oh, that season. Absolutely. Um, all right, my second question for you: Who will finish in a higher position this season, Arsenal or Tottenham? You know what's funny is like I think logically I want to say Tottenham because I feel like they just have enough quality with that front three to get them there. Mm-hmm. but it's Spurs. I don't trust them. And Mourinho, I feel like he's not the same guy. He really, I don't think he's the same guy that like arrived at Chelsea, you know, with Porto running down the line. Mm-hmm. He's not that same guy. So you know what? My, I'm going to say Arsenal. I'm going to say <laughs> Arsenal will just sneak by. That's a hot, that's a hot, it's kind of a hot it take. It is a hot take. It is a hot take, but it's not really a hot take because Tottenham, like, what did you just tell me? Say this, say the line you just told I said me. Spurs are going to spur. Like, that's yeah, what they do. Exactly. They... That's what I'm saying, man. Like, and I, I unfortunately understand with Mourinho, like, coming off, it feels like in the 2000s and the early 2010s, he was just so good. And he, and his the formula worked and his tactics worked and that kind of lay low the entire game and scoring the counterattack, it worked. And then all of a sudden, you're getting teams with really good offensive talent like Tottenham, like Man U, and it the, it's just not there. It just doesn't really work out anymore. No, I think like, and I've heard a few people say this, so this is not my own opinion, but like I've heard people say, I think success got to him. Oh. You know, he likes that underdog mentality, and now that he's, people are expecting him to win, mm-hmm. he can't live up to that anymore. And he also hasn't been with a team that has the qualities that he had before. You know, that Chelsea team in like 04, 05 mm-hmm. was just um, dominant all around. You look at that team, there's so many world-class players. That Real Madrid team that he had, world-class players. I would say the only underdog team he really had was the Porto and Inter. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And the other thing I, I, I want to point out is that with that, with his new teams in the recent years, he's he's always, historically, he's always had that number 10 that Schneider, that Ozil, that Deco in Porto. Yeah. And then he comes to Man U and there's there's absolutely there's no one number 10. There's a Oh no, Ogler. we had Andreas Pereira and yeah. Jesse Lingard. At I that mean, time that those are the thing. players you had who aren't yeah. bad options, but they're they're not Schneider, no. they're not Ozil, right? So, you know, then he comes to Tottenham like literally right after the departure of Ericsson. So, that's too bad because that's kind of your guy. That was kind of the guy that you needed to 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 make this formula work. And I always felt that he's had the same 
he's had quality on on where he's had success, but in the same spots. Always a really strong back four, always a really good defensive midfielder, and always a really good number 10. The strikers were okay, but it was always focused around those core areas, and maybe that's why he's not finding that much success at Spurs right now. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, I'd be curious to see how he would do with this United team when now that we have, like, Maguire, who's not amazing, but at least he's solid, yep. and Bruno Fernandes. I'd be curious to see how he would do with that. I, I, I would love to see that as well. The thing is, I don't think Mourinho gets along with his Portuguese players. I really that's don't true. think so. Because I, you know what? Go on, sorry. No, I was going to say, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that, actually. Yeah. Now that, now that you've said that. Because there's stories about them, at uh, him and Ronaldo at Madrid, and, like, you, you would think... Both of these guys, top of their game in whatever they do, and they're both Portuguese. Why aren't they getting along? And then they just don't because their egos are just so damn big. Yeah, no, that's, a good <laughs> like that's a good point. I think, honestly, I think Mourinho's bigger. Mourinho's um, um, ego is even bigger than Cristiano's at some oh, sometimes. I wouldn't even doubt that. That <laughs> does not surprise me to hear at all. <laughs> um, speaking of Real Madrid, Let's let's break down that game first. Real Madrid versus Atalanta. It ended three oh. to one, not at the Bernabeu, but in Madrid. The final was four one on aggregate, and what was kind of an easy win, man. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this was Real Madrid's team a game to lose. I mean, I think that first game with that red card kind of stuck the sting out of everything. And I know it wasn't, you know, like on aggregate, obviously Atlanta could come back, but they're not the same team they were a year ago. I feel like losing Gomez was a big loss for them. And yeah, they're just not that same team. I think, honestly, when I watched that game, they should have had more. Yep. I mean, Vinicius, if he could finish, probably should have had at least two. <laughs> you're, you're telling me he was, he was beaming up and down that left side the entire yeah. game. The entire game. And like you said, this, this was Real's to lose. I, I thought when this draw came out, uh, when the matches were set... I fully thought that Atalanta was going to was gonna win this one just based off of Real Madrid not playing that well in La Liga and based upon Atalanta's ability to be so explosive offensively. But like you were saying, that red card, it threw them off kilter. And now, you know, they come into this leg and it's never good to be on the back foot. But I just thought that this was a performance from Real Madrid that we're used to seeing like three years ago when they had Ronaldo. Just get the job done, clean up, 3-1, easy win, on to the next. Did you feel the same way about that? Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I even wrote down somewhere here. I said that, like, the only issue I have with Real Madrid is I just still don't trust their attack. Because other than Benzema, that's the only person I really I really trust. Uh, defensively, they were solid in that game. I mean, Atalanta had their chances, but they just couldn't finish. I mean, everything was right at Courtois. It was easy saves, in my opinion. Like, I don't think he really had to work for anything. Man, I have that written down. It's about the 10th line down. It's right here. <laughs> Zapata had three clear chances. Yeah. Three clear chances, and he failed to put them in the back of the net. Like, he really missed them. There was yeah. the first one where it was that brilliant pass. I forget who it was. He was going He was going along parallel to the 18-yard box, and then he just kind of, like, sided it in there. And Zapata had a shot from about 16 yards out, but open. So yeah. Zapata being Zapata, the guy we're used to seeing, who's like, he reminds me of Lukaku, just not as good, obviously, but yeah, sort of that, that up-and-coming Lukaku. Big, strong, really good, you know, back-to-the-ball skills are unparalleled, but he, sh he shot it right at Courtois. Right at Courtois. Yeah. And no, he, and then there was another one. And then there was another one. And then it's like, man, like, if you, if you scored that one and then Muriel gets that free kick, 
that's 2-2, and all of a sudden we have an exciting game right away. No, 100%. And I, I felt like those first few wasted chances, it they looked dejected after it. It looked like yeah. they didn't think they could score. Mm-hmm. And so their chances after that looked like they were just scuffed or, I don't know, it's like they didn't believe they could score. And I know that sounds really cliche, mm-hmm. but that's really what I saw when I was watching that. No, you're a hundred. You're a hundred percent right. And I want to go back to the Papu Gomez thing because when he left, I think it was January. Yeah, Atalanta responded in Serie A very well. There was barely any changes. They were still scoring goals. Like Muriel's been on fire this season. Yeah. He's got fourteen goals or something like that. They're still winning games. They're still playing like Atalanta in in the way I mean is like producing goals, progressive passing, always up the field. Because it was, let's face it here, Gasparini is the guy behind that. Yeah. But when you get to a big match against Madrid and all of a sudden there's no Papu Gomez, then you really notice it. Because he would have shined in that game, I feel. Well, I think like in the cup games, you're going to notice that lack of quality, I feel like. Because, you know, you see this with teams all the time. If you only have one or two X factors, it's easy to mark them out of the game. Mm -hmm. And not having Gomez, that's one X factor player that... Real Madrid didn't have to deal with. So that makes the defending job easier for people like Ramos because you're only really watching what Muriel and Zapata. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And the thing with Atalanta is those X factors that they do have, they're all in the offensive end, but they never play at the same time. Like Ilicic is the next factor. Muriel's an X factor and Zapata is an X factor. Yet I, if I, if I'm recalling correctly here, they were not at, on the field at the same time at all that game. No, they weren't because I think Illich just came on later, if I'm correct. He, I th- I'm pretty sure that uh, who came on for who? Zapata was on first. Muriel came on for him. And then Illich came on for Muriel, maybe. Like that could have been it. But I, when they're yeah. on the field, if they're on the field together, they never really do anything that you would expect them to do. Like because Muriel's fantastic. Illich is super skilled, although he didn't really play that well. And we know Zapata. So if you put those guys in the field together and you're already down one, two nil, you know, you should expect some goals and they just, they just didn't deliver. No. And I, I mean, they got that free kick, which was like a good consolation goal. Yeah. But I just feel like they didn't really go for it as well. Like, I feel like they should have had all those guys on the field right at oh, the yeah. end and just oh, yeah. thrown it all up to them. But I, they didn't do that. They didn't ask questions. And I mean, they took off Ramos relatively early too. So I don't understand why they didn't just decide to like go for that. Yeah. I was going to say that it's uh Ramos's impact on Madrid. Yeah. His importance is it can be compared to Messi's importance to Barcelona and Cristiano's to Juve. That's how important he is to their agree. success. Yep. Because when he's on the field, Varane plays better. Nacho plays better. Modric and Cruz can come up the field more because they don't have as many defensive responsibilities. And it showed. It really showed because yeah. Ramos is Ramos is Ramos. We know Ramos. He's yeah. probably the best defender of the last 10 years. 100%. And I mean, and you saw that in, I think, was the, the first goal with Modric laying it off to Benzema. Modric's not that high up the field if Ramos is not there. Never, never, never. And that was a, and that's exactly like you said. And, and with that, with him on the field, aside from the positional um, benefits and, and, and all that, you got to remember this guy's a leader of men. So yeah. he is going to be that vocal presence in the back line that's going to lead you up the field, that's going to bring you solidity at the back. And when he left, I just felt like there was a clear gap in the back line that Atalanta could have exploited. And Zapata, just for 
ridiculous no. the amount of shots he missed, man. Ridiculous. Yeah, they're, they're definitely going to look back on that and have some regrets. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. my question for you, though, and I have a question for you, though, is okay. do you think Real Madrid could be a dark horse in this? After this performance? Yeah. 100%. 100%. Because let me tell you, I used to watch a lot of Real Madrid about three years ago when Ronaldo was there and even further back than that, about seven years ago, from 2013 till two years ago, okay? And what I saw from them in the Champions League was they went into every single game knowing they were going to win. It didn't matter if it was Bayern Munich or Shakhtar. It didn't matter if it was Man City or Wolfsburg. They knew they were going to win that matchup. And that, and I, I haven't seen that energy since Ronaldo left, except for this game. I saw this game and I said to myself, this is a game where they just, they literally just went in there and they just won the game. That's yeah, it. There 100%. No, it felt were, easy. Yeah, it felt, it felt easy. easy exactly. Them. There was no doubts. Nobody was yeah. panicking. They were holding the ball. Atalanta, the chances they got, we can say Zapata missed because he did, but they weren't the most clear-cut chances like sitters. No. And at that being, with that being said, Courtois is in the net. He was 6'7". Oh, yeah. Athletic as hell. He's a beast. Yeah, so 100%. You're quite, to answer your question, yeah, they're the dark horse. They are okay. the dark horse, for sure. Um, moving on to Man City versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. That one finished 2-0, 4-0 in aggregate. For me, this was always City's draw, man. What do you think? I mean, they seem to always get, in my opinion, like the easier draws. I don't know what it is. City just have that luck. And <laughs> Mönchengladbach, they didn't do anything. Oh, I know. Honestly, that whole <laughs> I know. game. I mean, the City won it within the first, like, 20 minutes. Yep. That's... Yeah. And as a United fan, this is killing me to watch. It really is. It's paining me because I'm scared they're going to win the quadruple. Like that's how sad, like scared I am. It's it's definitely a possibility. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what I thought from this game. I thought there were four games played uh, this week, and for me, it's going to sound stupid, but this was by far the scariest one. And I'll tell you why. Much of Gladbach didn't play well. They haven't been doing well recently. String of losses. I think it's like seven in a row in Bundesliga. Yeah. And they didn't play well this game. But City this season are scary. They're not like your conventional like way of playing where they, they score a bunch of goals and they defend really well, which they do. But it's the way, it's their mentality. They, walk, they walk in there and they control everything. And they can do it against anyone. They can go against Bayern and do it against Bayern, Real... They walk in there, man, and they just control the game and they just score goals. And that's, and they're not satisfied with these kind of results. Like they just no. clean them out, clean them out. I mean, what scares me about City this season is that the depth that they have, with the exception of, I would say, Ederson and Diaz, you can replace every single player on that field with somebody else and there's no drop. There's no drop. And that is a scary thing. The fact that Aguero can't even get like a sniff in the team yeah. is like ridiculous. Oh, oh yeah. They they are I think they're deeper than Bayern Munich. Position yeah, for position. I would agree. I think yeah, I think Bayern has a little bit more quality overall. Yes. Yep. But yeah, no, City is deeper for sure. I I mean, like you said, all right, let's just imagine a scenario. You got to use five year subs. And Bernardo starting, um, Sterling, Jesus, you know, Gundogan, Rodri, Fernandinho, all these guys. Oh, Bernardo Silva's injured? Let's put in Mares. Yep. Oh, Jesus is injured? Why not drop, why not put De Bruyne in, drop him in that center forward, and then we'll still score? 
Like, these things, and Pep's tactics this year are off the charts, what he's doing with Cancelo, what he's doing with Gundogan. Um, but this is the team, they're just, anything could happen to them. They are set up to where bad luck doesn't exist in their world. Like, if they, got hit with, if they got hit with injuries like Liverpool, it wouldn't be that detrimental to their season because they can just put in another world-class talent in them. I mean, that's the thing. They've had injuries. They didn't have Aguero in the beginning. De Bruyne has been injured, yeah. who's arguably their best player. I think the only two, again, the only two positions where I think it could be a problem is if Ruben Diaz or Ederson gets injured. Yeah. Then there might be a slip-up. But mm-hmm. other than that, anyone else can get injured. You know, Kyle Walker gets injured. Cancelo has been probably one of their best players this season. Easy. I mean, I think what makes them so dangerous in the Champions League this season is that they've pretty much already got the league. So they don't have to worry about that. They, they can, can just write that off and then go and play all the cup games. Mm-hmm. They can rest. They can rest guys, too. They can rest guys like De Bruyne. He doesn't have to play every single game in the Prem anymore because the league is over pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I, you're right. I, I the worry if there were any worries coming out of Man City's camp, it would be that Diaz pulls up a you know leg and and gets injured. Which yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. He's young, super athletic, super strong, but it's it's a it's a worry. But like I said, this is a different City team from past years. This I can't see this team beating themselves and crashing out of the UCL like they did against Leon, like they've done against Liverpool or sorry Tottenham in recent years. Yeah. So. I just I don't see it necessarily. Um, I just think they're too strong-willed. They're too good. Pep has got these guys in a in a place right now where they can beat anybody by any score they want. Do you think Pep will over tinker though if they get further in? Because we've well, seen that before that he over tinkers. I mean, get you said it the game against Leon. Like he completely ripped up his game plan, changed his positioning around, and they were destroyed for it. Yeah. Do you yeah. think he can over tinker again? It could happen. I don't. I don't see. I think this season is like. Well, I've stuck because he changed his tactics earlier in the season. What I've noticed from last seasons is when he does change all of a sudden his game plans and his tactics, it comes at a too late of a stage in the season, like the quarterfinals, where you decide all of a sudden it's a huge game and I'll change them and I'll lose against Leon. But this season he changed his tactics. I think it was like, I don't know. Five or six, even seven weeks into the in the EPL season, where he decided to put Cancelo at midfield and and Gundogan in there, and just they were rotating guys all around, and yeah. that's when they changed it. So I think he's already had a change in his tactics, and he's sticking with them because they are working to a T. One hundred percent. And I think the thing that I noticed too is that Pep has been a little bit more pragmatic this season. Yes. Like. You know, you're used to seeing City win in the league at least, like 5-0 constantly. But they're winning a lot of, like, 1-0 games. Mm-hmm. And I think what I noticed was a big change when I'm going to bring my United into this. But yeah. <laughs> when they played at Old Trafford and he played both Fernandinho and Rodri just to keep it safe because he knew that, like, I'm just trying to keep that clean sheet. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a point for me where I said, damn, Pep's, Pep's learning. He's, he's, he's realizing that he can't just be gung-ho all the time. He's got to be more pragmatic. Yeah, I I mean it's hard not to be gung ho when when you're uh, when you're have a, a team like City. Yeah, right? it's hard not to to go full out offensively because you have all these offensive weapons and then fewer defensive weapons. But like you said, if you put Fernandino and Rodri in a midfield, it's going to be hard to score a goal. And then you got Diaz, and then you have Ederson. So that's where it gets. A little hard to score against them, but I, I fully I fully agree with that because when he was back in Barcelona, he never really had to worry about 
being too offensive or being too defensive because Sergio Busquets and Xavi were all over the field. They oh, were yeah. box to box. Nothing's getting by us. We're controlling everything. But now you get in the city where there's a little bit of imbalance between quality in the offense versus quality in the defense. And you have to make those decisions. And like you said, he's done a fantastic job of that this season. And I don't, I don't see anybody beating these guys. Do you? I mean, the only one I could see is Bayern, but we can get to Bayern later. But I think, yeah, overall, they have more depth. So if there's any issues with the Bayern team, I think they got them. Wow. That's a, that's a good take. It's not even really a hot take because they're just that yeah. good. They're just that good. Um, moving on to Chelsea versus Atletico Madrid. 2 nothing. I believe this is at Stanford Bridge. It yeah, it was. 3 to nil on aggregate. 13 games under Thomas Tuchel, no losses, 9-4-0. and oh. What do you got on this one? I mean, Tuchel has been fantastic since he's come in. Obviously, there's still so much work to do. But what he's done immediately is he's created structure in that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in, and what I you, – you saw this with his teams in the past. You've seen it when he had, was in Dortmund and when you saw it with PSG is – that they play a very structured press. Everybody knows their formation. Everyone knows where they're supposed to be. They don't really break that formation unless they're going on the counterattack. And you've seen that with this Chelsea team. And that's where all their goals came. Yep. It was being structured in the press, waiting for their opportunity, counterattack. And I mean, he's making people like Werner and Havertz look good again. So you got to give them credit. And I think they were, I think I, I think, I don't know if this is true, but I read a statistic that they've only let in two goals since he's been there. Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, yeah. Been I, it's been like two goals or something like that. I read that one too. It was it was two goals. It oh was two God. goals. Yeah, that yeah. is just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, when when Lampard was in and they had all these guys coming in the summer, I was thinking the entire time, wow, right? Havertz, Werner, Zia, Silva, Chilwell, Jesus, Mendy, all of these guys. And if if you figure out where to play them, Frank. You're going to have success. You might just get top two in the league. You might finish second, maybe even pull away and win. But he didn't do that. And like you said, there was no structure. And then when they brought a real coach in, like Thomas Tuchel, not to say that Frank or Lampard isn't going to be a real coach in coming years. He probably will be, just like Pirlo, just like all these guys. But Tuchel is the immediate now. He's the real coach now. And as soon as they bring him in, all of a sudden, the, the defense is fantastic. Yep. Right? Werner, Havertz, guys like Ziyech are getting on the field and actually playing well. Conte is playing unbelievable. That game, I was going to say Conte. I just put like on my notes, Conte, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, because he was just everywhere that everywhere, game. Everywhere, everywhere. People were saying he was, oh, he's too old. He's, he's washed now. Man, watch that game. The guy runs for the full 90. Full 90 minutes, and he doesn't stop, and he's creating, tackling. He had 13 ball recoveries. He had two interceptions. He had, like, 81 passes. Like, the guy was all over the place, and that's what Thomas Tuchel kind of did to this team. He kind of saw a lot of raw talent, and then he just put them where they belong, and now they're looking ridiculously good. Like, I'm going to point out how Atletico absolutely disappointed me. Oh, 100%. Like, there was nothing from them. They did not play like a Simeone team. There was no creation, no threat, bad decisions, mistakes. Jao Felix looked like the only one who could make something out of nothing, but he really did nothing all game. Suarez and Dembele did absolutely zero on the on the field. So 
That being said, it was kind of an easier match for Chelsea. Oh, but yeah. at, at the end of the day, they Atletico played bad or they played poorly because Chelsea were so structured and solid at the back. See, that's the thing I was wondering too, is like how much of it was Atletico being awful and how much of it was Chelsea just being so structured and organized in their defense. And when you look, I mean, I think they only had like the first real chance came in something like the 70th or 80th minute with Felix. It was late where he shoots it right at Mendy. Mm -hmm. I mean, to go that you're down in the tie and for your first real, I mean, opportunity to come that late in the game is just ridiculous. They look lethargic. They look slow in comparison to Chelsea. And I think, I think what I noticed was the amount of running that Chelsea was doing and the lack of running from Atletico. Like, I'd be curious to see the distance run from their players because it looked like they weren't moving. Um, 100%. And you can, and I even noticed the fact that the Chelsea players were way more athletic than the Atletico players because those guys looked tired for the 90 minutes. They looked exhausted while Chelsea were guys, were having guys running all around the field like Conte, Werner, Havertz. They, They were just bombing up and down the pitch, and Atletico just simply couldn't keep up. And I want to touch upon the red card that was given to Savage. Yeah. So say what you want. It was a bad call. It's a wrong call. It was I unwarranted. Agree. But my question to you, uh, Savage, is why elbow Rudiger? Why? I mean, it was just petulant when you look at it, right? It was unnecessary. It was petulant. I've probably frustration. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a poor call. I wouldn't give a red for that. I mean, the game's gotten really soft if we're giving reds for that. Yeah. I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I, I totally agree. It's not a red card. It's a yellow card. Yeah. That's cause that isn't, that is a, a striking motion. If you want to look at the textbook, the rule book, go ahead, but just, I don't understand why you would do that. Like, especially nowadays, because like you if if he elbows him which he did and he and Rudiger dives which he did which yeah. anybody would do realistically VAR is going to take a look at that and say well you elbowed him there's the red every yeah. single time every time especially in a world with VAR you know pre VAR we had Pepe stepping on Messi's fingers we had Nigel De Jong cleating <laughs> guys in the in the thigh cleaning yeah. all the thigh like that that kind of stuff it flew it was okay but now there's a camera everywhere and the slightest infractions are you're getting penalized for it. You're getting a red or a yellow for it. So Savage, why? I didn't understand. See, part of me wonders whether or not the players are actually just accustomed to it now. If like in the back of their mind, they're forgetting that VAR is still a thing. And it's, it's like old habits dying hard type thing. Yeah. And that's what I'm kind of wondering. If, will we see a change in that in like two or three years time if VAR is still a thing? Yeah, I think there will be a change because VAR isn't going anywhere. Yeah, it's it's just not going anywhere. the The rules will change a little bit. The offside rules will change. I don't know if you saw Wenger's Wenger's Arsene Wenger's offside rule. Uh, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. That's the that's the best, most clear, perfect, realistic uh, offside rule I've ever even heard. Um, I mean, I just think VAR is being, and this is getting a little rant of VAR now, but I think uh, sure. it's being just misused. I mean. VAR is supposed to be clear and obvious, Yep. right? I mean, if you have to measure lines on a camera to see if someone's nose hair is <laughs> offside, yep. that's not clear and obvious. Yeah. That should not be overturned. No. And what advantage do you get from that? What advantage do you get from having your arm ahead of somebody else? Exactly. Right? That's, that's my question. And 
I, I, the way, the reason why I like uh, Wenger's rule is because if you, if your foot, your head, your chest, if any part of your body that you can use to score a goal is ahead of the defender, then it's offside. But what advantage do I have when my finger is ahead of you? Yeah, none. I'm not using my finger to score a goal. It's so, just, it's, it's honestly just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's annoying too because I feel like now because of these, because of VAR the on-field ref is afraid to make certain decisions. Oh my God. And you've seen that time and time again where a decision's not being made and they're waiting for the person in the air to say something. And if they don't say anything, they're just continuing on because they're scared to make a mistake. 100%. 1,000% I agree with you. It's the, the ref has more pressure. They make they, that, And that results to making poor calls in those bigger games. And that's why I'm extremely worried for Euro 2021. Oh God, yeah. Um, our final matchup of the week was Bayern Munich versus Lazio, two to one. That one ended six two on aggregate, and I have nothing to say, but it was super expected. <laughs> oh, I mean, this one was the last game I looked at because I just knew what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- like, what do you expect? They win four one first, and then you're what do you Lewandowski's think? Lazio, score. Lazio's Lazio's going to all of a sudden come back from that against this Bayern no, squad? No, of course not. What are you, crazy? Come on. But, yeah, you know what? Bayern will be Bayern. That's all I have to say. Kimmich, yep. Alaba, Lewandowski, fantastic. Um, that's it. I mean, and we'll see. They'll get a better test in the next round because the quarterfinals has seven teams that are, are pretty much giants and yep. one team that is not a giant, and that's yep. Porto. And, unfortunately, they beat the crap out of my team. Which is terrible because it would have been an excellent quarterfinals if oh Juventus were there. When you think about what that quarterfinals could have been. Yeah, it could have been unreal with Juve in there. And maybe even yeah. Barca too. But on another note, I want to bring it back to Lewandowski because I saw this insane stat today. So if we take away Messi and CR7, let's just say they don't exist. They haven't existed in the past 10 years. Lewandowski would have, and I list, most UCL goals. Most UCL goals in a season, most UCL knockout goals, most UCL semifinals goals, most UCL hat tricks, most UCL pokers, most seasons with 20 plus league goals, best goal ratio in the 21st century, best UCL goal ratio, most goals in the last decade, most UEFA best, and most FIFA best. That's almost every single award we have yeah. on the slate. And he would be the best at them without Messi and Ronaldo. So, like, I asked you that question earlier on. I was wondering who you're, if you were going to say yes or no. And there it is. That There's the stats to back I up mean, your, your take. I feel like there's been a lot of players, when you think about it, that have been overshadowed by those two. Oh, yeah. And I feel like their careers are not going to get the credit they probably deserve simply because of the dominance of Messi and Ronaldo. Nope. And I, Lewandowski is probably the He's had it worse than anybody else, probably. I mean, you could look at people like Neymar as well, who's always had to live in under that shadow. Yep. But yeah, Lewandowski has had it the worst. I mean, he has just been absolutely dominant. He consistently is getting 30-plus goals in the league each year. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much does this guy have to do to actually get some credit <laughs> from some actual award? Yeah, I, I mean, I know. I know. Imagine being literally... And this just emphasizes that point. Quite literally, removing those two guys, Messi and CR7, he has all of these things. I would be, I would be lying awake in bed at night, just wondering why did one of these guys exist? Why do they <laughs> exist? 
because he's just, he's just born in the wrong era at this point. I, when you think about I it. know. And imagine if they didn't exist, he would have more UCLs as well. I feel because oh, Barca yeah. knocked them out in 2015. Real Madrid knocked them out. Jesus. in in 2016, 17, 17, 18, 13, 14, like we're talking a long history of not of being behind these two guys. And yeah. without them, you're possibly most likely the best player of the decade. And then we're talking about GOAT because he's got a lot of goals, man. He's got a lot of goals and a really good goal ratio. Yeah. No, I would agree. And I also think that, you know, when he really came into dominance at Bayern too, I felt like Bayern were in a bit of a transition period, at least in the Champions League yes. sense. In the league, they're always going to be dominant. It's Bayern. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but in the Champions League, they were in a bit of a transition because they had some of the older heads like Ribéry and Robin mm-hmm. phasing out. And then these new kids like now Nabry and then, Sane now that are coming in and he's waiting for these guys to catch up with him in order to have that dominance. Yeah. And, and they, they sort of have now, right? They, yeah. they, they're there. And what I, what I, it, what's so crazy about Bayern Munich is because is uh, we've seen legends, we've seen youngsters replace legends at clubs before, um, but nothing like Bayern Munich where they were the guy they're replacing, they emulate to a T like you tell me if Kimmich is not the second coming of lamb. That oh, guy, yeah. like for like, is Philip Lum, just more versatile. I mean, I would I would love to see their like training facilities if how they are able to do this. And they're because all ripped. It seems, yeah, it seems so consistent that like these guys just come in. Like, I mean, when you even look at like Nabry, who was not really highly touted before oh, no. getting to Bayern, he gets to Bayern and becomes like a, a, a world beater at this point. And I'm just like, how do these guys keep doing? How do they keep doing it on a consistent basis? It's it's shocking. And speaking of Nabri, like now you look at Nabri and Sane. Yeah. Tell me that isn't Ribri and Robin. Again, yeah, exactly. Right? Tell just... me that tell me that Leon Goretzka isn't Schweinsteiger. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And Barca and the reason why they're suc- they're they're succeeding in everything they do right now is because they have that those replacements and they're world class. And the reason why Barcelona aren't winning in the UCL is because they failed to replace the Javis, the Iniestas over the years. When in reality, we might be seeing some new guys coming in right now, but they, when you lose a player like that, you need an immediate replacement. And if you don't get that immediate replacement, you're going to have a very steep drop-off. And I don't remember Bayern really having that steep of a drop-off. I mean, when Liverpool won the UCL, Bayern crashed out of the round of 16. And that was the steepest drop-off in years of transition, which was fantastic. Well, I think that has a lot to do with the organization as a whole. I mean, they know exactly what their philosophy is. They know what kind of players they want. And then they buy players and mold them into the kind of players that they hope to be. (laughs) I mean, like like even Alfonso Davies, they bought him from Canada. You know what I mean? From Vancouver Whitecaps and turned from a a winger to probably one of the best left backs, if not the best left back in the world. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, that just shows you that they have a plan in mind. They know exactly what they're doing. They're buying players that fit a specific mold. Barcelona did a scattergun approach. They just went, (laughs) Griezmann's good. Let's get him. Coutinho, oh, he's fantastic. Meanwhile, they all want to occupy the exact same amount of space on the field. Yeah. It's a a very selfish approach and and like a... Just a straightforward one vision, tunnel vision approach that yep. Barcelona took as opposed to Bayern, where they see the whole picture. But I feel that that's just the German way of doing things in, in, in football. 
That's just the German yeah. way. The German way is is to beat you mercilessly until to a point where you have to restructure your entire club as a whole. And then also when they're building their own team, you have to be the best of the best. Under Hanse Flick, you have to gain 35 pounds of muscle within your first season. <laughs> yeah. 35 pounds of muscle within your first yeah. season. And you either play where I tell you or you don't. Or you're gone. Yeah. There it is, plain and simple. Because if you look at Philip Coutinho's transformation from Barcelona to Bayern, the guy literally put on, like, I want to say, I'm not going to over-exaggerate here, but muscle weighs more than fat, so I'm going to go with 20, 25 to 30 pounds of muscle. Yeah. His arms, they went from like this diameter to like there. It was insane. Like, the the growth is insane. So, I just, the, the way Bayern Munich does things is what makes them this, one of the scariest teams in the UCL right now, but... When they come up against City, it's going to be a wicked matchup. Who do you have winning that? If this happens in the final, wherever semis or, or next round, even. See, barring any injuries, I would. I still want to lean Bayern. I don't know if that's just me hoping because I just don't want to see City win. But I just think their X factors are better than City's X factors. I think okay. people like Foden and Sterling, how they're going to react on that big stage. Yep. is yet to be seen. In the league, week in and week out, they can do it. Can they do it in a final? And that's the thing we have been yet to see, at least on a European level. Mm-hmm. So that's the only reason why I would go Bayern. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you there. I mean, that that would be a fantastic game. And I think oh, I think that's the final we all deserve. I think that's I'm hoping the final. The draws, I'm hoping the draw goes like that. I would so, do I. that. so do I. Because that's we need that. Like, I don't want to see... Although PSG Bayern would be a good final or PSG Man City would be an excellent final again, uh, we the teams that are the best this year, far and away the best this year, are Bayern and Man City, and they need to meet in the finals. And that would be a spectacular final for the ages. Um, but yeah, I would say Bayern. I would say Bayern still. And the reason being, they have a little bit more chemistry, I feel, yeah. because they've also won last year, so we can't discredit that. Lewandowski is on fire, but the the part that makes me lean towards City is that you look at their X factors like you were saying. So who's going to stop Lewandowski? Diaz. He's going to yeah. have a tough time, but he's going to do it. On the wings, you have Kyle Walker and Cancelo. And on the opposition, you have Nabri and Sané. That's difficult. Very, very difficult. But you're lining up pace against pace. And then, honestly, is it's just a question of whether City's attack can get through the Bayern defense. And with the frailties that they they have in that back four. I was going to say that. I, I don't, that's the only thing I don't trust is that Bayern know. defense. You know what I mean? The only I thing don't I don't trust. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they've been super susceptible. And Schull has been playing great and then poor and then great and then terrible. And then okay. Yep. And then okay, right? It's, it's super inconsistent. Um, well, Chris, thank you very much for coming on, man. This was uh, great. Man, great thank you for time. having me, man. Anytime. Yeah, 100%, man. You guys can follow Chris on Instagram under at second half subs. And of course, myself under at footy fix pod. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure to subscribe and we'll see you next week.